Welcome back to the Stock Market Options Trading Podcast. My name is Eric, and in this episode, I had a chat with Eric Smolinski from the ES Invest YouTube channel about trading in 2022. We had a great conversation, covered a lot of bases in this episode. I really think you're going to enjoy it. But before we get started, you need to know that everything in this episode and on this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered financial advice of any kind. And this episode is brought to you by my patrons over on my Patreon page. If you're interested in supporting the podcast while at the same time getting updated trading research, consider joining me over at patreon.com forward slash vertical spread options trading. I'll put a link in the show notes and it's only $5 to get started. And while you're there, you'll see an option for my SPX premium blog and alerts, which opens up to new members the first week of each month. So I'd love to have you join me there as well. So big shout out and thank you to all my patrons over on Patreon. I really appreciate all the support. Now let's get into this week's episode with Eric Smolinski and we're starting right now. Eric Smolinski, welcome to the podcast. How's it going? It's going fantastic, man. Thanks for having me on. Great to chat with you. Yeah. So we got another Eric and I have to ask because I'm a C and you're a K and wh- what? What's wrong with you? Why do you... Um, because you're torn I respect, that way? <laughs> it's because I respect the heritage of our name and I'm staying true to our Viking roots. I was going to say, after, you look yeah, like I mean, a Viking and no one can see it on the podcast, <laughs> but you have that, uh, you have that look. Um, yeah. That's I'm, awesome. I'm named after, I'm named after uh, Eric the Red. Eric actually, the Red? Who's, yeah, which is Leif Erickson's dad. Yeah, nice. Yeah. My last name's O'Rourke, so I got some Irish um, in there too. Oh, right. I probably should do a deeper dive on my uh, my true roots, but uh, no, that's cool. I've seen I've seen people who have CK. That's when it really bothers me. Yeah, th- that's like the Eric. Uh, so Erickson, Leif Erickson is CK, which mm. is so weird to me. I, I actually yeah. don't understand when they started adding the the C and the K. And like, it seems unnecessary, why? right? Like two consonants yeah. on there. It, it's it's just a double <laughs> up. We're just doubling up. Yeah. No offense to uh, any CK Eric's out there, um, by the way. So we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I know it wasn't your choice, but um, well, cool, man. Well, so just for the listeners, uh, we cross paths. I think on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a YouTube channel called ES Invest. Great videos on there. A, a lot of a lot of things that are kind of what I would consider the in between things. Like a lot mm. of people see the mechanics, yep. they see the um, delta and gamma, all the stuff from the books. And 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 that's one thing I liked about your channel because I stayed away from a lot of that because I just I'm like I can't compete with. Tasty trade and Mike in his whiteboard. I'm not. I'm not going to try to teach. The, you know, if you if you haven't figured out how a credit spread works by buying a book or watching a video, like I'm, you know, you don't need my video, right? Like, so <laughs> I, I try to teach a little bit more advanced concepts, concepts, yeah. and and or you know, practical things. And I think that's what you're doing on your your YouTube channel. Tell me a little bit how you just got into options trading. How did you even find out about it? A stranger on the internet. <laughs> that is literally, that is literally how I found it. So I was trading a little bit when I was, you know, 16, 17, 17 is when I started more buy and sell. And I heard, I literally heard somebody mention the term options and it was in the most delightful context that you've ever heard, which is good old binary options. Mm. And you know, that that's the first time I heard about options. I was like, Oh wow. You know, this sounds cool. 50, 50 chance. And you know, just stupid me thinking that that's a great way to start. And I was actually talking to some people 
on some online forums and I'm, I'm 31 now. So I'm also no spring chicken out here. Mm. And, um, you, so I was in a Yahoo forum. That's why I say, cause that's okay. a little, little old school. Do you have a Yahoo email? I don't anymore. You and don't I anymore, think if okay. somebody does, it might be a problem. We need to, we need to revisit yeah. those people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was just interacting with the online forums and I was saying, Hey, you know, I found this, this the next great thing, binary options, guys, check it out. And literally everybody's just like, you idiot. No, that's mm. not, that's not where to go. And I was just like, Oh, well, okay. Then where do I go? And that's how I found it is actually kind of a, bunch of community members talking me out of binary options. And then I started exploring regular options. Tell me a little bit about, I, I don't want to talk about binary options, but at the same time, I'm curious, <laughs> I'm curious <laughs> in a nutshell, can you tell me what that is? Because I mean, it sounds very like, you know, like you said, 50, 50 or whatever. Um, and I, and the same thing, like I, it would come across my feed and various, and, and I saw so many things about scams. So I always just stayed away from it, but what, what's like in the, the, the Twitter, you know, uh, format <laughs> short, like what, yeah. what, what's the goal of binary options? You're just picking a side and hoping it lands kind of thing. 100%. And okay. the, the worst part about the binary options though, is it's time bound. So there is a time, there's literally a time limit that you have to be right. So it's typically intraday. You can buy or sell and then a timer starts and it's like three mm. minutes. And then you're just like up or down. That, yeah. That's it. It's awful. Yeah. That's it's, like, it's, it's, that's it's, like, you know. yeah. Okay. I was gonna say that's like gambling for real. All right, we'll move on. Yeah. I was just kind of, I, I, it was one of those <laughs> things that like, well, let me just see. And I just never did it. And I'm glad I never did. Cause I've heard a lot of horrible uh, I'm glad you story, didn't either. stories from it. So, yeah. T- tell me a little bit about your evolution. Like what type of options uh, or trading did you start with versus where you ended up now? Like, well, you know, how you you said yeah. you've been trading like 15 years or so. So I know there's yeah. probably some kind of evolution there. What does Significant. That look like? Yeah, significantly. So I think when I first started trading, it was very similar to what most people do. So I was buying calls primarily. Um, and I think it's just because I think for new traders, it's a, it's a logical connection. You're used to hearing, you know, buy low, sell high. It's essentially the name again with calls. So I started with just buying single options and I was met with, I would call it mixed results. I wasn't doing great, but I wasn't doing bad either. And then I started coming across different books about trading and I was trying, that's actually what you see here is options as a strategic investment. It's like my Bible. Mm. And I was trying all sorts of different strategies. So I went through kind of a really profound phase where I was testing everything. I was trading real trades, but then also paper trading everything from vertical spreads, condors, strangles, straddles, long and short, both kind of everything. And I started getting a better feel for what worked for me. And more importantly, against the time constraints that I had to trade, because during this point in my life, I was in college in ROTC. So Mm -hmm. that gets you up. It's, you know, reserve officer training. It's a commissioning program for the Marine Corps, other services too. And we're up at five in the morning, you go do that. Then you go through school. Then you have stuff in the evenings for it normally. So I was very time bound. And then on active duty, obviously also very time bound. So I started finding strategies that I could make work in those time periods, in addition to when I had more time to sit down in front of a computer. So 
started with a little bit of every strategy under the sun, just about. Mm -hmm. And I started honing down into things like the covered strangle is pretty much my go-to ratio diagonals is I would say those two are my bread and butter and the covered strangle. It's not just the covered strangle when it's deployed as a multi-leg strategy, but also the initial phases, cash secure puts. But then I also trade things like naked short puts when I'm looking for leverage of some sort. And then I trade long and short futures at this point. I started as the account grew, the efficiency became more and more important to me, especially trying to get fills. So futures became a actually really great place to start dabbling. And in the last, I would say two years, I've been trading more options on futures as well. Mm, But I still do a lot of options on IWM and things like that because of the coverage strangle. An important aspect of that is to be able to take assignment of an underlying most of the index futures, cash settled. Same thing for the big index indices like RUT, SPX. Those are also cash settled. So because of the strategy I'm deploying, primarily the coverage triangle, um, I am somewhat limited in the products that I can select. So that's really the, the evolution I went through. Yeah. A lot of you know shotgun blast, check out everything, and then starting to really narrow down some of the things that we're working against, um, who I am as a person, my preference, and then also time constraints. Gotcha. So are you a little bit more of a net seller of options at this point, would you say? Yeah, it's, I think it's a totally fair characterization. I think if I had to put a number on it right now, probably 60% net selling, 40% buying premium, something like that. It does fluctuate based on the market conditions. Like During the bull market, I was doing a lot more buying just because volatility was so suppressed. Right. So that is a big part of when I'm structuring the different strategies. It's not just the directional bias, but it's also what strategy makes the most sense for the markets as they're playing out. I think that's a big issue that a lot of new traders come across is they learn one or two strategies and they try to apply those one or two strategies in all markets, regardless of what the market's doing. And sometimes you're trying to put a square peg in a round hole. So I am a, that's why I, I kind of follow the strategies and trade the strategies that I do is it allows me to enjoy different market conditions while still trading something that I'm generally familiar with. Gotcha. You, you mentioned IWM and I, I've had this like on and off obsession with trading uh, IW, IWM in the rut. And mm-hmm. right now that obsession's off. I haven't, I've been kind of focused <laughs> on SPX. We got those, the extra expirations. So I've been working with those, but um Real quick, tell me about the covered strangle. How does that how does that work? And and I'm assuming that you own 100 shares and you're selling a strangle on top of it. Is that what that is? That's yeah. That that's really when it's in its developed form. So the way that I go about the covered strangle, sell cash secured puts. Depending on the market condition, I'll either allow assignment or right now actually I have two small tranches out at 200 and I think 194. Um, and those, I I already rolled them once, rolled them out and down, but essentially you start with the cash secured put, you decide how you want to manage that either rolling like I am right now, or you could take assignment. Once you're assigned, it's selling additional cash secured puts and then covered calls. And uh, there's a lot of nuanced detail in there. Like for me, I never like to cover the position totally with calls. So for example, like the tranches, like I said, I have some small, uh, tranches out now they're both six lots. So if I get assigned on the six lot, 
I'm not going to sell calls against six. I'll sell calls against five or four. And what it does is it gives me a little bit of money up front, but I'm accepting the trade-off that I will have unlimited upside potential still as compared to being capped. And that has been really important. Right. Yeah, really important in the construction of the strategy longer term. But that's, yeah, that's really how it goes. And then, um, are you, on, are you using weeklies for those, like weekly options, like seven day, 30 day, yeah, where, where are you at? Yeah. yeah. Yep. I, I think in terms of expirations, a lot of it depends on the volatility that's in the market. So if there's more volatility, I typically favor shorter timeframes to try to get more repetitions through it. Right. Yeah. Um, if volatility is lower and I'm not pulling in kind of the amount of capital that I would prefer to, then happily go a little further out in time. I pretty much would sell short calls, anything 50 days in something like that. Are you trading against stock a lot? Are you primarily indexes or a little bit of both? It's, I would say it depends if we're talking about frequency or size of the portfolio in terms of frequency, it would be outside of indices, but in terms of size of the portfolio, it'll be primarily index ETFs, primarily IWM. So Mm. IWM, the way that I think about my portfolio, I don't have a bunch of different portfolios. I have my primary trading portfolio, and then I mentally split that into two buckets. I call one bucket my core allocation, and then one bucket my speculative allocation. So I take all my principal, divide it between those two buckets. Then in my core bucket, I primarily am trading the coverage triangle in IWM. So, And that is more of my portfolio but fewer touch points on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And then on the speculative side of the account, that's where I'm taking advantage of what I perceive to be market opportunities. Like when Twitter started being a thing, I had a position in Twitter. So it's mm-hmm. all those kind of you know scenarios. That's also where more of my short deltas are going to come from to offset a lot of the long deltas in the core side of the portfolio, depending on the markets. So... I think it varies between both, again, depending on if we're talking size or frequency. Gotcha. On the future side, are you trading some of the micro futures like MES um, or you, you're just straight uh, ES futures? Yeah, I normally just trade the E-MIDIs or E-MIDIs. commodities. I, I like to trade VIX futures a lot. That's kind of what I'll use if I'm hedging my portfolio as a whole. Um, I, I'm not like a big advocate of hedging hot take, <laughs> but yeah. I actually don't hedge that much. I, I hedge mostly what I would consider to be the size and the mm-hmm. way that I allocate the portfolio money management. But yeah, I, I primarily trade the, the larger futures to me. That's, that's really the, the draw to futures is the leverage and the efficiency. Instead of having to get, you know, 10 contracts of SPX, I can just get one e-mini and move on with my life especially depending on the way if I'm trying to scale into a trade over time or whatnot, it gives me a little more flexibility. Plus the micros, again, dating myself a little bit, but they're relatively new. You know, They've come mm. out in the last couple of years, yeah. which I think is such an awesome tool though for people who are interested in dabbling in futures. Mm. Because for me, like there, there really wasn't that choice. What I had to do was trade the big futures and Delta hedge via stock of some sort. Yeah. And it was capital intensive. So I, if I were starting again now, I would absolutely trade the micros. But at this point, it, it just, yeah, it wouldn't make sense for me. Gotcha. So we were just, you know, before we got on the, the recording here, we were talking about the market and mm-hmm. I don't know if we're down um, 20%. I think NASDAQ was down 30% at some point, but so obviously kind of like in some market volatility for, I guess, year to date, because it's really January is when we kind of rolled over. 
Um, mm -hmm. What have you been trading? What like what have you found to be you keep leaning into? What's working for you now? Um, I know you, I know you trade a bunch of things, and and so do I. But I've kind of narrowed into some things. I'm just kind of interested in and in what's working for you. Yeah, that's a really fun question too because what a unique environment that we're in right now. We're seeing relationships mm -hmm. behave so differently than 20 year precedent. So far this year, I continue to deploy the core portfolio kind of as I mentioned before. So, and that's hurting right now, as I would expect. So, like I said, um, I've had very, very light allocation this entire year. So, like I was talking yeah. to you a little bit earlier about, I do like touch points and, you know, talk about my portfolio on a weekly basis with, with my community. And literally this whole year, I don't think I've been more than 22% invested. I, I've been so yeah. light. And it's just because I have not trusted this market whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So what I have been trading though in that is the, the coverage strangle still. And that's because I literally always deploy that. I've traded it through bear markets. Those were some of my best years. So I just trade smaller amounts of it. And then I'm also trading a lot more directional diagonals right now. So I'm trading a lot of short deltas against the long delta. So I'm even doing naked short calls in individual products, just making sure that the beta weighted deltas aren't overwhelming my long deltas. I still want to maintain that long disposition just because I've had some uh, tear your face off experiences to the yeah. upside with yeah. naked short calls that I am yeah. not interested in participating in again. So that, yeah, that's really the, the, the primary strategies I've been trading covered triangle, I've been trading the um, more directional diagonals and I'm keeping them shorter dated. A lot of times I trade leaps diagonals, um, but I'm definitely backing the time frame in. And then I'm also trading more just long and short calls and puts outright by themselves, di yeah. more directional plays and things, especially post earning drift with some of the tech stocks getting hammered. I used mm. to trade earnings a lot, especially during the bull market where volatility was so low. It's like one of the only places I could go to find volatility. But now right. I, I'm essentially not trading almost any earnings. And I am simply uh, trading post-earnings moves because there's so much volatility still yeah. to, to make some money in there. And then the other thing I'm doing is trading commodities. I've been scalping oil futures quite a bit. That's been a go-to I tried scalping gold a little bit. I had one decent trade this year in it. But then other than that, I can't figure gold out for the life I, of me right now. I've given up on gold. I, yeah. you know, <laughs> I used to trade the GLD. I, I traded some uh, call spreads here and there, more of a bullish kind of thing, you know, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not smart enough to know, but you know, when in when inflation um, is still rearing its head and, and I, yeah, I'm going to bring it up right now so I can make sure. I'm yeah. It's 8.2, 8.3%. Yeah, but gold is is like it's down with the market, you know. Gold, yeah, the, it had it had a spike in February, but it is now back to its January levels, and it's like, why is that, you know? And not to mention, Bitcoin is down as well. So it's like there is no safe haven for the <laughs> there's no hedge or whatever for um, this route we're in. Um, I, I think. I think the one thing that you mentioned that I think is a common theme, I've talked to some other people, and it's what I ended up doing. Um, and I, I, I think it was last episode, I, I talked to Brent uh, Kachuba from uh, Spot Gamma. And, mm -hmm. and I also attended a CBOE webinar because the five, the five expirations per week was coming out. 
Right. And and the general theme is a lot of retail traders are moving to shorter dated options. They mm-hmm. just just with SPX alone, I, they, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was like twenty percent increased in zero to five day types options. And I think that's I think that's ultimately you know uh, where I ended up because similar to you, probably November or December last year, I started raising cash. I was about 50% and then um, took some hits in January when the market flushed. And um, because I had, I had short, short deltas on um, that carried over. And then I basically closed those out and was like, okay, well I'm, I'm, you know, all cash basically. And now I'm just income trading and using the shorter, shorter timeframes. And um, Mm -hmm. so I think that's, you know, I don't want to call it a day traders market because I am finding like multiple day opportunities, uh, but it's definitely a faster moving market. And, you know, even though the market's like up a little bit today, the, the VIX is down. The, 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 the last couple of days, the VIX has been down and the market's been down. So it's just kind of a strange market in, indeed. Like you said, it's very unique. And, and I think cash is definitely a position and you're better off waiting. I, I, I just have this, like, I remember the 2008 crisis and I wasn't as savvy as I was back then. And I basically, my, my retirement accounts held through it. Right. Mm. And just, cause I was working and it was like, you just kind of yeah. ignored it. I was younger, but, but this might be one of those moments where you're like, if you're just patient enough and you have, you have the money on the sidelines and you just wait, long enough. And I don't know, I'm not calling a bottom, you know, this month or maybe in six months, we don't know, but I think there's a huge opportunity coming, coming at some point, probably this year to really deploy that capital back in and to really get some upside once the uh, uh, market kind of recovers. So are you thinking that, I I don't want you to, you know, get you on recording, like um, (laughs) predicting something, but do you feel like we'll probably find some kind of bottom this year? Or do you think this is like a longer, a longer thing? Man, and that has been <laughs> one of like the most fascinating. And you don't have to be right because I, I, you can say I don't know, but uh, I rarely like, am. So yeah, yeah, it's all good. Um, no, it's it's just the the market has been so fascinating to me because I look at the way that COVID went down, the the drop there, and then the recovery out. That blew my mind. The way that that went, I was not ready for that. Yeah, um, I I was scaling in and I was gearing up for the good old two hundred and ninety eight day average bear market, and we had yeah. a we had a three day bear market, and I was just like, what's going on right now? So when I think yeah. about this year, I think the market looks very heavy to me, and I've been saying that all year. I think it looks very heavy to me. We see tech rolling over, which is really what led the previous secular bull market. So, and we see energy starting to even roll over itself, which has been propping up, I think, a lot of things right now. So, to give you like a quick synopsis on what I think throughout the rest of the year, between the Fed needing to raise rates to fight growing inflation, negative GDP, in order to raise GDP, typically that's going to have a pretty profound market impact in terms of rates inflation. So, I think depending on how the Fed continues to play this out, I view the stock market as a house on stilts on a cliff. I'm not like a doom and gloom kind of guy thinking that once those stilts get pulled out, that the house is gone forever. But I do think that 
we are ripe for a pretty big sell-off. I, I really do believe that. I think right now the S&P 500 is teetering down 16.35% year to date, like right the second. Mm. And then IWM is down 20.89% year to date. So IWM technically is in a bear market right now. Uh, S&P 500, deep correction, closing on a bear market. And I think that's where it's going. I think we might see a rally before things kind of blow off top. That's kind of common for mm-hmm. especially, especially like secular bull markets as they round out is we get this big blow off and then we'll see a, a pullback from there. That's that's what I'm thinking. I think later yeah. this year, beginning of next year, there's a good chance we're in a bear market, a broad bear market. Yeah. One of the things I think about members with this week was, you know, Apple finally fell, right? Apple was down, mm-hmm. I don't know, 10% or so. I think it's bouncing today, but it, it had fallen several percentage in the last few yeah. days. And it, it's, you know, those handful of stocks, Apple, Microsoft, um, some of those big names were, were really holding the indexes up. So, um, so I'm, I'm kind of looking to those names um, to find a bottom. And then if those look a little bit more stable, then I think every the, the indexes will stop going down and you can, might be able to sell a lot of volatility because I'm, I'm assuming vol is going to stay 25 and up for a while. Um, where yeah. The VIX is around 30. Uh, but are you buying any stock? Are you doing any long-term buying on the way down? Are there any stocks you're interested in from a long-term perspective that you may just kind of buy and hold? Or are you just kind of waiting yeah, I primarily trade derivatives. So most of the time I'm in options. If I'm assigned on a covered strangle, I'm in it until I'm out, essentially, meaning until I get called away. Like I don't have a lot yeah. of long-term equity positions. I will key you in though on my inner degenerate and to hold strong with my GME folks. Um, but <laughs> I, I I literally I bought some GME a little while back more as just a straight up joke because I saw people talking about it on Twitter. Yeah. I liked I liked the whole retail traders trying to squeeze out institutions. So I was just like, screw it, man. I'll, I'll put on a position in there too. I don't, I don't really care. So I, I have a small long stock position in, in GME to which I've committed to holding until death. So <laughs> I'm just going to have that forever. And then I'm actually starting kind of a fun test where every single month, this is really the the other primary long equity position that I have. Every month, I'm starting to buy 10 shares of SPY. And Mm. the reason why I'm doing this is kind of as a case study with my portfolio, but a case study with the community on how buy and hold can fit into a broader trading plan, especially for somebody like me that typically doesn't have buy and hold. So what I'm doing is every single month buying 10 shares of SPY once I have, I, I, this is the second month doing it. So, yeah. um, but the game plan is once I have a hundred shares, then I will start to trade options on it, you know, mm. and kind of just try to use it as a live example for people, because right now it's only like 4,000 bucks a month. So I think for, you know, like a working professional that's capable to start scraping up some money, it's like an achievable amount of money to start saving. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to use it as kind of a, a group case study on how we can trade something like in broad-based index ETF along with the rest of our portfolios. But that's that's those are really the two long stock positions that I have, a super degenerate one in, in GameStop. Yeah. And then, and then <laughs> well, you gotta very, have you gotta try to have some fun, right? Apparently, that, yeah. That's yeah, your just, it, I, it's entertainment too. Yeah. <laughs> I get a kick how they're just polar opposites, right? I have yeah. like this case study on being responsible, scaling into a broad-based market index ETF, and then GameStop. So. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I've been thinking about that too. Um, I, I like leveraged ETFs. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying not to get too fancy, but um, you know, I've 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 traded UPRO and yep. SSO, uh, which SSO is like a two times spy and UPRO is like a three times spy. So I'm not to the point where I'm gonna start legging into a triple leverage ETF at this point. Um, but I thought about buying SPY too. One thing I am doing similar to you with SPY, I'm actually, I've been buying Google. Um, oh, interesting. Just, I, I'm, I'm accumulating, you know, it's expensive, you know, it's like, it's still 2,500 a share somewhere in there. And, yeah. you know, my, the idea is they are doing a uh, stock split 20 to one yep. in July, I think. So I was like, well, if I can, you know, I'll accumulate like, five or 10 shares. And again, you would end up with a hundred shares in which I could then start selling covered calls or, or, you know, trading more options on. So I'm kind of legging into Google for yeah. the stock split. And it, it used to be, and this, this is where this may not be a good idea anymore. It used to be in the bull market when I think it was Tesla and Amazon, or I, I don't remember, maybe it was Apple. Um, they would announce a stock split and the stock would go nuts. Right. Yep. And it was probably more uh, retail driven. So I was like, well, you know, I could at least get a hundred shares and do options on it. Cause I know the options on Google are pretty liquid. So that's one thing I'm doing. It's, it's, that's just so awesome. I'm actually like, no kidding, in the middle of doing a study on post stock split movements. Mm. So it's just funny that you bring that up because I've heard a couple of people talk about that, especially with um, Tesla, you know, doing the same thing. So yeah, I, I that's a, it's a good idea. I, I think at least the preliminary results on what I'm seeing so far is there is positive drift post split, at least for a period of time. Um, but yeah, I, I like, yeah. That the thing that flashed my mind was survivorship. Is that what it's called? Survivorship bias. Mm-hmm. You get into like back testing and why it's hard when you do long-term stuff, because, so let's say you were to say, Oh, well, if, if I bought Microsoft, Apple, Google, and all these stocks back then, I'd have a, a billion dollars, but there's a lot of stocks that never made it. So when you choose to back test oh. a stock that made it, you end up with some, uh, uh, survivorship, those stocks survived and, you're, you know, the, I don't know the best example, pets.com or whatever, all the ones that, that never made it. Right. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. if would consider just the idea that in order for a stock to split, it would had to have gone up a certain amount or, or something, mm-hmm. you know, not crazy. Cause I've seen splits for stocks that aren't, that right. aren't $3,000, you know, like Amazon, or something like that. But um, yeah, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? What, like, are you just doing that on your own or do you have any, some kind of yeah. software or? Yeah. So I'm, I'm working on it on my own. Um, I have a, a good buddy of mine from college. That's a software engineer. He's a mm-hmm. giant nerd. So he helps me with everything. Yeah. Um, nice. I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm kind of the, the good idea fairy sometimes. And he'll help me understand <laughs> how to explore. That's actually how I got into back testing um, and like collecting data sets. But anyways, you're, I, I think what you're saying is 100% correct. The, to clarify the, the purpose of the study, it's really to take a look at um, post-release or post-split drift. And it's a very short time frame that I'm looking at. So I want to know after 200 stocks historically have split, what did they do when the split was originally announced? And what did they do for two weeks after that? And then okay. when the split actually occurred, what did they do for two weeks after that? 
So it absolutely, yeah. if I was doing a broader study, I think it would be drastically impacted. The, the main hypothesis that I'm exploring is how much of an effect does new accessibility to the stock, primarily for retail traders, have on moving the stock in a short-term time frame? Right. No, that makes sense. Yeah, if you're looking at short-term, then, then that's probably not that big of a deal. But it, but yeah, if you're looking at like a 10-year study of something that's exactly. split, like you're only going to end up with the ones that, that you know, the the apples of the world. So that's, that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, it's always good to have um, that programming buddy that can kind of help so important. make make some things a little bit easier. I know there's a lot of, um, and we've talked about this a little bit, there's a lot of newer technologies and softwares out there um, for backtesting and stuff. What are some of the tools that you use? Are there any products or software packages that you use besides you know your, plat- your brokerage platform? It's an interesting question. I dabble with a lot of different things, but the stuff that I use the most is the brokerage platform, Python and Excel. I, I run okay. a lot of stuff through my Excel. I literally just built uh, a new computer, actually my first desktop since I was in like high school. So that I can actually run more of this stuff because my laptop yeah. right now it's humming because it's just trying to stay alive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do really, a lot in like, Excel I, too. Yeah. 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 Cause I, I use like binomial tree modeling for option pricing, especially if I'm doing longer dated, larger diagonals. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get taken on price. And I was actually doing uh, a video with the, there's a segment that I've been doing called uh, teaching to trade rebranding soon on that. But anyways, I just connect with some people in my community regularly and we record learning to trade together essentially so that, you know, other people that are interested in learning can follow along. So long story short, we were looking at a diagonal that one of them was kind of scoping out and it, it was very mispriced for like what the market was showing us and what both Black Scholes model and a 150 step binomial tree given current market circumstances are showing us. So sometimes like I'll use that to make trading decisions. If I really, really want to trade it, sometimes I'll not offer as much on my initial outlay because mm-hmm. I know that I'm paying a premium or I'll just not trade it. So I use Excel for a lot of stuff like that. And are you using Python like just locally against your own data? Are you on some kind of platform? Cause I've seen different ones like quant connect, um, Trying to think of the other online where they 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 house the 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 data too. So how are you using Python? Um, so I have actually a couple uh, stacks that my buddy helped me build. So I have two shell computers here that store data that I can kind of run Python and also query against if I'm mm-hmm. looking for specific things. Um, that's been useful but expensive to maintain, especially to get all the data because I now have down to one minute intraday options data. Mm. And it's super expensive to get that way more yeah. than I was originally anticipating. And so I don't, I don't expect to continue refreshing that data set. If I'm being completely honest, just yeah. because it, I kind of committed to myself that I was going to do a couple things with it. So I, when I first saw the cost, I was like, okay, fine. But I really don't need it. I'm doing it more out of my own intellectual curiosity, the way that I trade. It might get, maybe hopefully it would get refined based on, you know, different tests that I can run. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've been doing it 14 years now, pretty successfully without that. And once I saw the price tag (laughs) attached to it, I was like, how much do I need this? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I have a... um... 
I was buying one minute options pricing so you data know for, about it. for SPX. And we, uh, I have a programming buddy, um, who, yeah, who helped me guy. put it all together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lee, he's a, he's a good guy. He, um, we, we put it together. We did a lot of back testing and it was, we had, we had to do a lot of refinement because even when you get that amount of data, like just trying to put it in an organized manner and yeah. kind of like, you know, you have to have an idea and you have to have the mechanism to query that idea and then make adjustments. It's, it's a lot of work. It's a and, ton. Uh, yeah. Now we didn't have a feed. I would buy data like every three, six months and we would reload it and then kind of retest. And then we would trade Got live it. with some things. Um, I've since switched to, I've been using another platform, which I, I had them on the show for, for SPX, SPY backtesting. They don't have all the kind of filters and things that I would want to do, but there's some, um, but, but it's, it. it's a good, it's a good platform there. I think they're actually switching option Omega, which I've mentioned okay. before. They're switching to one minute. They had five minute data, but they're switching to yeah. one minute data too, uh, which is, which is, uh, you know, you get it from the CBOE. I have a data subscription for the CBOE now for SPX, just the pricing, um, because I'm working on my own uh, analysis charts. I've done a few videos on those. I, I kind of showed you that. So yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's super it's, cool. Yeah, it's fun getting the data. And, you know, I, I know it can seem daunting for some people. I, I think there has to be a way, like, like for someone to be successful, you really need, I think, to try and uh, manipulate the data yourself and whether you do it on a platform and even think or swim, they have the think back, you know, so it's yeah. not like you got to go out and buy anything extra. Exactly. But I, I really think there's a lot of benefit to, and I don't want to just say back testing because it, it gets a bad name sometimes, but there's a lot of benefits to back testing and going back and just, you know, had I chosen this strike, what would have happened versus exactly. that strike? And why did that happen? Cause you think, and it's, it's very rarely what you think it would have done. Um, because all the yeah. movements are, are different. So um, definitely recommend people kind of do their own research. Um, but when did you get started on YouTube? T tell me a little bit about your YouTube channel. It's It started completely randomly. <laughs> kind of like the way I found options. Um, no, it started during COVID. So COVID hmm. happens. I was already in the reserves. So I rolled off of active duty. I was in a civilian life doing civilian things. But I, a lot of my friends are still military. So gotcha. when COVID happened, they were stuck at home. They couldn't go to base. So I am a evangelist for trading and finance because I, it really did like change the trajectory of my life. And the only way I came across it was because of some people telling me about it. So I, whenever I'm stationed somewhere, even at my job, you know, all the, I would always talk about it just to bring awareness for people to check it out, come up with what you think of it but know about it. So I started YouTube during COVID May of 2020 because I was doing just these outreach calls to military people. So I put a post on Facebook or something like, Hey, you know, if you want to talk about trading finance, um, I'm not a genius on it. I have my experience, happy to share it, but let, you know, let's talk. And I just found myself repeating a lot of the same things. Right. So in order to make those calls more productive, I recorded a couple videos, two videos, and I was just like, hey, watch these two videos real quick, and then let's talk. So that when we talk, it was like a more yeah. simple conversation, better use of both of our times instead of me explaining what a CD account is. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just not good for anybody's time. So I, that's how I started. And then it just kind of kept going from there, which is hilarious to me, though, because I hate social media. 
I hate being on camera, but I think the message is important. I truly do, which is why I do it. But yeah, it's definitely been a fascinating learning experience so far because I am not good at it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you have a lot of great content. I definitely recommend all the listeners go check out your channel. And that channel is called ES Invest. Um, Is that the best way? Like if anyone wants to reach out to you and talk about any of your strategies, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Yeah, I think that are on Twitter at ES Invest. Kind of keep it simple. I am okay. a, I'm of Polish descent, so I keep things very linear. So it's simple for me to keep up with it. But yeah, that's it. Cool. Well, I'm going to put all your links in the description here so people can cool. check you out. And um, I appreciate you coming on and, and just kind of, you know, I feel like every conversation we have, is just like this, like we're just kind of talking. I, I know we were kind of all over the place, but yeah. I think I, I'm, I'm into that. I, I like just kind of getting some of the stuff out, some of the ideas, hearing, hearing what you're saying. And, and I, I appreciate the conversation. So have a good day. We'll catch up later, man. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, man. 